0: multiple times now um in terms of you know just getting foundational information and then you know circling back trying to get you know trying to dig down and and trying to narrow down narrow the names down um in potential deals uh and we've talked to gosh we've talked to a lot of agents um as well uh you know just as you know in a targeted way as well as you know just hearing you know the client the entire client roster that agents have had so it was it was really productive
1: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of fish bites the miami Herald's miami marlins podcast i'm jordan mcpherson joined once again by good old friend andre fernandez dre how's it been buddy it's been too long <laughs> um
0: it been too long man you know Good times now, you know. Seeing the the off season, the way it's going, a lot of football for me lately, as you know, like you know the Dolphins and the Canes and everything. But good to talk a little baseball again with you.
1: Yeah, and I guess we can just jump right into it. The winter meetings virtual this year, so not as much hype, not as much excitement. But the Marlins did make a couple moves with related to the Rule Five Draft. Uh, Paul Campbell, Alvarez organization, they took him in the draft, and then they traded for Zach Pop, who the Arizona Diamondbacks took in the Rule 5 draft and then traded to the Marlins for a player to be named later, Zach Popp. Love that name, by the way. Yeah, I do too. I mean, as the Marlins put out on Twitter, he's known as Soda everywhere else except the Midwest, which, again, quality <laughs> yeah, tweet there as Marlins. perfect baseball name
0: too.
1: <laughs> so they got two more guys. Both of them figured to be part of the bullpen as most Rule 5 pitchers are. Zach Campbell more of that long relief, swing starter type role. 3.12 ERA over about 230 minor league innings. Highest level is AA. Pop went und- underwent Tommy John surgery early in 2019. But before that, 1.34 ERA in about 80 innings. And Kim Ang, Marlon's general manager, noted that he was highly touted among minor league pitchers going into that season. So they have the two of them. They added Adam Simber earlier in the offseason to give him three new bullpen arms. But even with all of that, it still doesn't feel like they've done that much to really overhaul and start fixing that bullpen, which is, rightfully so, probably the biggest priority they have this offseason.
0: Yeah, you wonder still, you know, for a couple of reasons, both um, monetarily and, you know, the, the availability of some of these arms, you know, they, she's, she talked about them having a few guys targeted and, you know, of course they're going to say they're, they're doing that, and they are, but you wonder if they can make a bigger splash or do they really is one of those big names like a Brad hand, let's say, or something like that on that radar. You know, he's rumored a lot amongst uh, us and the media, but are, is that a guy that they can afford to bring down here and, and, and make a splash like that? You, you wonder, but yeah, I think they're, they're decent moves in the sense of like, you, you take a flyer on a guy like pop and you hope he's the same guy he was before the surgery which could happen. I mean, a lot of guys have come back stronger from Tommy John in recent years. You know, that, that, that procedure has, you know, helped a lot of guys over, you know more in recent memory than, than before. And then a guy like Paul Campbell, you hope, like you said, he's like that long relief guy, another option. You know, for starters, you kind of hope he's maybe he turns out a little better than maybe like Ryan Stanek, unfortunately, did for them. You know, and, and it kind of puts a little more depth into that bullpen situation that they have right now. But the closer is still the biggest thing. You know where do they go for? Where do they go for that? You know, I mean, uh, they you know Kinsler's not there right now. I mean, he's still out there, but do they end up circling back to bring him back, or do you go out and get that bigger name? You know, the, there's a few top relievers, that top closers that are still out there on the market waiting. But again, it kind of goes back to how much money do they have to play with, coming off a very tough financial year, especially for a low payroll
1: team like the Marlins. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned where they go with closer the. Only real legitimate in house option they have is Jimmy Garcia. If we're going right. to just file a call there, if they and if they do go with Yimmy, who are your setup guys? Who's going to be the seventh, eighth inning bridge to him as you go there? Do you trust Adam Simber to be able to be a regular guy in the seventh inning? Do you trust in James Hoy and Richard Blyer being able to step up and go more of the full inning work rather than? come and get the one out with two guys on base and try to get all those jams. How do they shake that up? And again, they weren't willing to pay Kinsler $4 million, which was his team option. So if they're going to circle back to him, you're looking at them trying to see if they can get him for probably, what, $2, 2500000 It's going to be interesting to see how they try to shake that out financially, as you mentioned. But it's also... Going to be a real telltale sign of their situation when you know that they have twelve and a half million already invested in Starlin Marte, rights nine and a half for Corey Dickerson, five for Miggy, plus whatever they have with all the arbitration guys and the five million or so that's already going to Cooper and Aguilar. So with the situation with COVID and still the uncertainty of how everything's going to look in twenty twenty one, it's looking like if fans are there, it's going to be on a very limited basis at least to start the year. The vaccine, the COVID nineteen vaccine coming out, is a good start and. Hopefully, will help in the long run, but there's still so much uncertainty at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, still so much. I mean, you have to make sure it works. I mean, it still has to be distributed, and that takes time. Yeah, in the, in the world, there's still a lot of a lot of a long term process for over the next few months to really find out if we're going to get over this thing collectively, as we know. But yeah, I mean, you know, going back to the Marlins as far as the bullpen and things like that, I mean, I wouldn't trust those guys now. Uh, totally i mean we haven't seen enough of a sample size even in the guys that pitched last year i mean again she talked about oh, 60 games is not a lot and you have to look at the track record i think that definitely applies to this you know and that's where it could get a little dicey if if um you go into spring training and you have to see something you have to see stuff something that guys can convince you and not just spring training but even going into the season the first few games first few weeks months I mean, that's a lot to put on on guys to, to expect them to be that good and to, to, to get into those reliable roles if you truly want to contend again. So, I mean, that's why I think landing someone of some sort of caliber that can really, you know, solidify that back end would be huge, whether it's a clo- closer preferably or even, like you said, maybe even another setup guy with some track record, with some proven history that can that can handle high leverage situations would help
1: And now, as we get to that point with the Marlins, when they added Campbell and Pop, they filled out the forty man. So any move yeah. that they make that isn't the guy on a minor league deal with an invite to spring training, yeah. they're going yeah, to start, the squeeze. They're gonna have to start. They're going to start squeezing some guys, and yeah. it's going to be interesting how they do it. Especially with, if I'm right, my count at thirteen of their top thirty prospects are part of their forty man roster. So those thirteen are virtually untouchable. We feel like you have your bulk yeah. of your guys, your mainstay guys who are the guys who came from last year, you're basically your core at this point. They're, to me, I mean, there are some obvious candidates. And to me, it starts with looking at that overflow of fringe minor league or fringe A big league outfielder spots. Because if we just look big picture at the outfield, you have Corey Dickerson and Starling Marte are going to be your left fielder and center fielder. I would be shocked if Lewis, Brinson isn't given a chance in right field after having a pretty good run at the end of last season. Nothing spectacular, nothing completely jumps off, hey, he's going to be an MVP, he's going to be this big name, but he finally showed something, and that's what the Marlins have been looking for for three years. I don't think they're going to cut ties when they finally saw that. That really leaves with, depending on how they fill out their bench, that leaves one, maybe two spots left for a group that sort of looks like it's going to be coming down to... Monte Harrison, Jesus Sanchez, Harold Ramirez, Magnery, Sierra. And the last one, those last two, Sierra and Harold Harold Ramirez, while they filled their role and they did their job while they were here, I think they're probably the most expendable of the group just because of the, A, because of the depth. B, in Sierra's case, he's out of minor league options. So if you take him off the 40-man, you have to send him through waivers. I mean, you're going to send him through waivers no matter what, even if you kept him on the 40-man. That's the only way you can move him down. And with Harold Ramirez, it's just it feels like he's just in that awkward spot where he doesn't really have that true defined role at this point. And the Marlins might try to see if they can find some value for him by flipping him for something else.
0: Yeah, I was going to bring up a trade possibility. Yeah, maybe one of those guys, you know, in order to not lose him outright, I could see that happening. Maybe even in spring during spring training or late spring training that sometimes that happens in March. You know, you you can have something like that. Harold still has options though, is that correct? That's I'm, correct. Yeah. Remember. Okay, so that that's in his favor at least. And then you kind of, you kind of want to at least, I guess, going back to the track record thing, you want to keep into account like look what this guy brought before he got hurt. So maybe if he shows you something in spring that he could still be that same type of player that that moves him in his favor. Sierra, you do like what he brought you. The speed element obviously is is, is enticing, and you you liked a little bit of improvement last year, but it's more when it comes down to the situation that you're in with the options, I think he's the one that may end up being expendable in some capacity. Maybe a team would take a, would take something for him, or if not, you'd hate to lose him outright, but it could happen. I mean, I agree with you on Brinson though. I mean, you don't want to give up after you waited so long for him to finally show you something. You want to at least give him a chance, unless he has a terrible spring and regresses. But if not, I think he's the front runner right now into that spot. And then, You slowly work your way up as far as the prospects. Sanchez, I remember, you know, the one for 25 last year. But, you know, from talking to some people in the organization, they said that the big stage got to him a little bit. And he felt like as soon as he went back to uh, the alternate site, he was better, he was more relaxed, more focused, kind of went back to work. So maybe the second chance, the light bulb goes off and it's a little bit better for him. So we'll see. So it's going to be interesting, you know. And then Monte, obviously, the fact that last year, he was clutch in terms of a pinch running role, helps, but that's not everything. You want to see the back come along too. So obviously they're going to want him to get as many swings as possible, and if that means starting the year in Jacksonville and taking more hacks, then so be it.
1: Yeah, and you just said Jacksonville, and it feels so weird saying Jacksonville, yeah. knowing they're going to be the AAA. It took me. The, it it took me about a second or two for to reflect. Yeah, I
0: had to mentally catch myself from not saying Wichita right when I said that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but also with Monte, and also you would assume John Birdie there as well, both of them having that speed element sort of takes away the value of Sierra's role in that in that aspect of it, knowing you have two speed guys. The one thing Sierra does bring that those two don't, he's a lefty. That's really right. the main aspect of it from it. So maybe they the Marlins decide to get another lefty lefty back for the bench. Obviously, second base, you're going to have either Eson or Jazz Chisholm. Both of them are lefties. Corey Dickerson's a lefty, so that gives you at least two in your starting lineup. Lewin Diaz, whenever he comes up, that'll give you a third. But other than the left-hand bat, that's really the only thing I think that factors in that gives Sierra a little bit more weight here. And then if we look at the bullpen for a cup for guys who could potentially be loose pieces here, as much as I'd say Jeff Brigham's probably one of the biggest options just because he didn't wasn't able to do anything in regular spring training because of an arm injury. And then he only pitched one inning before COVID and was never able to come back. So the fact that even though he did show some signs of life at the end of 2019, as they start bringing in more guys that look like they're going to be holding spots that he held, that could could start to signal the beginning of the end with him. And then the only other guy who's left from their main group from last year that really pops up as a guy who was, Sort of on the on the men below it, potentially Stephen Tarpley, but again he's a lefty. He showed some he showed some promise at the end of twenty twenty, but there's also a track record thing. We really don't have much of a track record on him yet, so it'll be interesting to see how they evaluate both of those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, I think so. I mean, the fact that Brigham lost so much time too, I mean, that set him back. I mean, he was already kind of like a fring, on the fringe a little bit of, as it was. And now you get all these plethora of arms. I mean, it's a shame with Tarpley, too, because, you know, you brought him in there, too, because of what he brought in terms of the effectiveness and that same role. And now he could be another one that gets squeezed out. But um, going back to the lefty part that you were mentioning, it kind of hits on something that was interesting to hear Kim Aang say, and it's something that we've talked about a lot over, Many the, times. Over, the, over the years, really, since this whole rebuild started, was that she put it out there and said that she, in her... Her style, she likes tailoring a club to a ballpark in a way like that. She takes that and She factors that in. She takes that into account. And that's interesting because how many times have we said it's lefty power after lefty power after lefty power that they've been getting with a lot of these prospects they've acquired. So there you go. Marlins Park, you know, plays well for lefties. And then from the defensive side, she talked about the athleticism they're going to have again in the outfield. And again, you know, spacious Marlins Park, even now with the fences a little bit drawn in, it's still a huge outfield and you still need guys that can, that can cover a lot of ground out there. And they have those guys, not just the ones we mentioned, but there's a few more that are coming up through the system that have those tools. And it's going to be exciting to see that, not just in 2021, but even in 22, as they progress and make their way up there. And it was interesting for her to actually note, to, to put that out there, note that, you know, and, and kind of say, yeah, that is something that they that, that she has factored in and is going to bring that to the Marlins system now.
1: Definitely. And as a final topic on here, we're about two-ish months away from the start of spring training, knock on wood, assuming everything goes the way it should and everything's able to start on time. Do you think in between now and then that Kimming has to make some sort of statement move this off season to sort of make her, to make her stand out in this first go-round? Do you think that something has to be done? Or do you think it's more of a... Do you think the fact that she's willing to just roll with what they have, roll, show that there's confidence in what's been built to this point will be able to carry them through?
0: I want to say it would be nice if she did, because it would be cool. It'd be, it'd be like something like, you know, some big splash, you know, to really... I think like she would probably have, like put it on her, but you know what I mean? Like to generate some excitement for this team to add coming off the playoff year last year, especially because a lot of people going back to it still think, what if there was 162? Would, it, would they have done the same thing? I think the move would be if they could land a closer like we were talking about before, land a big name guy like that, that can solidify that back end, especially with the rotation of pitchers. But it doesn't really drive with the big necessity, which is the big bat. And 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 in both angles, I just don't I just don't know if they might have the means right now. I, again, I worry about not just them, but I mean, baseball as a whole. The financials have taken a hit because of everything with COVID and all like that. And a team like the Marlins, you know, they didn't have the revenue sharing and all those factors of last year. That that hurts. And then and even look at, look at the way that the the minor league teams the shuffle. I know it happened all over the league. But if there's one team that can really benefit from the cost cuts of travel and everything that's going to be mm-hmm. with this new setup, it's going to be the Marlins. And she was she sounded thrilled about the way they were able to pull that off and put Jacksonville, Pensacola, and now just kind of have every possible call up kind of close to home. That's big because they need they need to kind of survive this next season in terms of that, and then go forward. They got the TV deal com, uh, coming now, but they still need the they still need the to name the stadium. They still need to get the sponsor for the stadium. So there's little things that still have to be done. And that's where I don't know, going back to the main point, is I don't know if they are going to pull off that big splash. But it would be nice to see because I think just from the optics standpoint, it would really kind of show people, hey, this is another big move, another building block, and we keep and the, the, the progression keeps going forward, building off the momentum of what they were able to accomplish a, a year ago.
1: Definitely, yeah. It's going to be, as we've been saying, it's going to be interesting to see just how everything really unfolds over these next two and a half to three months, just baseball-wide, knowing that there is still so much uncertainty. There is a lot to figure out. There's still, I mean, baseball still has to figure out a lot of the basics of, are they going to play a full 162? Are they going to start spring training on time? Is the National League actually going to have a designated hitter, which is going (laughs) to determine a lot of the market? The Marlins are still trying to figure that out because with Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper. Figuring out how they're going to define their roles, knowing without knowing exactly what they're going to have have to work with. But, yeah, the
0: biggest thing: I'm, I'm a fans going to be in the parks. Mm-hmm. Um, many fans. How soon do they gradually progress to certain capacity limits, et cetera? All that, all that it's got. To, it's going to take play a huge role on and off the field.
1: Yeah, and hopefully we'll get a little bit of clarity over the next month or so. Just for our sake, for the team's sake, for the fan's sake, to get this understanding would be. Ideal, especially knowing that there's going to be a lot of negotiation going on between the players in the league between how they're going to handle 2021 and then that good old collective bargaining agreement that's up at the end of next year. So it'll be a very interesting next couple months at first and then 2021 overall. And before we end this show, Dre and I, we both want to give a special shout out to a good friend, a good colleague of ours, uh, Joe Forsaro up at MLB.com. He... Announce his retirement. He's going to be leaving the beat on December 28th. And I think I speak for both Dre and myself as saying, first off, thank you to Joe for everything he's done while on the beat. And also for the both of us, as we made our rise into, into covering the Marlins over these last few years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was fun being on the road with him, and we, we become good friends now, still talk all the time. Now, now he's, uh, Big now he and I talk about Dolphins games since Tua's there. You know him, big being big Bama guy, Bama grad, obviously. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot both from from him and Clark Spencer for for you know those, the five years that really I've been covering this team, even now loosely covering the team. And it was a pleasure. It was really it was fun to be out there. Like I said before, like I've all spring training, always like willing to share some insights. You know, even even just you know how it is for us, like when we're in the press box and we've got the three hours i mean we're not writing all three hours of the game Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of times that we just talk and sometimes it's not even about the game it's about life or little things or whatever so just that kind of like that uh, just sharing that i'm glad you know that that i'm really glad at this right now with everything going on i mean myself i'm still looking to get back in it full time that he was able to do this in a way where you know it's on his own terms he knows uh, he, he knows there was time and he's a good situation and now on to the next endeavor, you know, for him and, and, and to be with family and that sort of thing. So I'm really happy for him and hope for all the best for him going
1: forward. Yeah, definitely. I know this isn't the last we're going to see from Joe. He's mentioned he's going to try to be around, around the ballpark every now and then after some downtime. which Yeah, you know it. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, he definitely deserves it. He's been busting his tail there for for what feels like forever Eighteen now.
0: Well, eighteen years there, and then you know uh, uh, he's had a great career overall in sports. I mean, he used to cover the Tampa Bay Bucks and a few other teams in different sports. So, yeah, definitely well deserved, and and, and like I said before, definitely happy for him. And, and you know, he'll—I I have a feeling he's going to land in something baseball related, even if it's not doing this
1: thing. Yeah, and with that, Joe, I say congratulations. Roll Tide, except for this Saturday when they play floor in the SEC championship <laughs> game. And best of Sorry, luck with... what Le- <laughs> It's not going to end well. Oh, I'm, I'm fully prepared for how that's going to end up, but I can hope until the first quarter comes to an end. I mean... <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll just say, Joe's got plenty of time to watch Tua now on Sunday, so I'm happy for that.
1: Yes, he does. And on that note, that's going to be it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much again for tuning in, and we'll be back again with more developments as the offseason progresses. Thanks so much, everyone.